All right. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Tavern Voices. And by exciting, I'm anticipating how exciting this episode is going to be. My name is Kevin King, and with me, as always, is Tyler Crawley, the famed radio host from Southeastern North Carolina. That's How's right. That's good. That's good. Always good. Uh, even though it's pouring down rain and freezing cold, still good. You know, it's all relative. I need a reason to stay inside and not go out there. So I appreciate the weather. So I know we always start with COVID-19, but I feel like we should talk about uh, something kind of related to that. But let's talk about the protests in Raleigh, which is a little closer to your neck of the woods. So I don't know if you want to lead the cover, lead the uh, conversation or not. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so if people haven't seen it, there is a reopen NC group uh, that was started on Facebook organically. And all of a sudden, uh, it's up to 20,000 people. And I think now it's up to 30,000. It's growing very fast. Um, and the whole point behind this group is they say, hey, we need to we need to start working on getting the economy going again. We're business owners. We're people uh, without livelihoods right now. We need something to change. And so they scheduled a protest yesterday uh, here in downtown Raleigh. And I actually didn't know about it ahead of time. I saw um, I saw people posting about it after it had already gotten broken up. Um, but yeah, people came downtown. And from all the video footage I saw, I watched uh, ABC 11 was there, WRAL. Uh, it looks like people were either in their cars blowing the horn or standing on the street holding signs, but distanced. Uh, you know, they were six feet apart, seemed to be pretty reasonable uh, type protest. They were in an, a public parking lot near the General Assembly, which of course is empty right now because uh, they are in session. And Raleigh PD showed up and shut them down. They uh, they were quoted as saying, "The governor's executive order does not allow protest, and you've got to uh, you got to get out of here. We're going to arrest you." Yeah, no, it was uh, it was a tweet. An ill-advised tweet. There's no doubt about that. Uh, so they they tweeted that they were following it. They tweeted that they started arresting people, or not arresting, but they were telling people to break it up and and disperse. And somebody questioned them and said, "Well, you know, where is that in the governor's executive order?" And he said, "Oh, well, protesting is a non-essential activity." And that's when all hell broke loose. I mean, this thing went all over the internet. I mean, people throughout conservative media were posting it around, and it was just it was awful. And they're standing by it. I mean, they're they're still standing by it. I mean, th- what's funny to me about it is, and this is like always the case usually with government, is that there were legitimate reasons that they probably could have broken up the protests. It's like the abortion protests. Like there are legitimate reasons. Like if, if, you, if you are not practicing social distancing, then that is a reason where I guess they can technically arrest you or at least call you to disperse. If you're, you know, violating noise ordinances or just in general, you know, protesting and um, you know, you're trespassing. I mean, there, there are, re- I mean, the, the right to protest everyone acts like is, you know, unlimited. No right is unlimited. There are limits to what you can do. Um, and so there are probably reasons why the Raleigh police could have caused the crowd to disperse or told the crowd to disperse or, um, arrested someone, but that is the worst reason ever. There's no way a politician has the power to declare protests non-essential. Everyone would do that. I mean, every, I mean, that's, that's the whole reason that you have that right is so the politicians can't do that. So, I mean, what's amazing is how bad the Raleigh police messed that up because they could have given a legitimate reason and sure we could have challenged it, but at least it would have been debatable. This isn't even debatable. I mean, it's a straight up non unconstitutional. And sometimes, you know, the simplest answer is the best answer. They could have just ignored them. 
Uh, they could have been out there monitoring it. Like they do a lot of protests. Yeah. I mean, we're in the Capitol here. Protests happen quite frequently. Usually police are just there to make sure nothing escalates. They let them hold their signs, do their chants, whatever. I mean, they let them tear down statues in certain places without really interfering. And now it's like they just picked the wrong fight. And that's well, what I think was was really questionable about it. But they do. I mean, the thing is, is <laughs> and to the Raleigh's police, uh, to their credit or to some extent, their credit. I mean, they did arrest the Moral Monday protesters when they trespassed on um, uh, uh, the what do you call it? The whatever the Capitol, um, the building where all the politicians well, are. Normally, it's they, the they did arrest them. police. Right. But, yeah. I mean, but so the thing is, is that why? Because they trespassed. And so, and I don't remember all these Republicans like freaking out about the constitution. They were like, yeah, they should be arrested because they weren't following the guidelines. And so my point is, is that there isn't this unlimited right to protest. We clearly saw that with the moral Monday protesters who got arrested. And by the way, I think those got tossed out. I think that those weren't upheld, that they ruled that they were in fact arrested. So, I mean, and, and, and this is the problem that I have with, you know, partisanship in general is that a lot of these people screaming bloody murder about these police officers arresting this woman didn't say anything when the moral Monday guys got arrested. And so it's not so much they're concerned about first amendment and our, our right. civil liberties being taken It's because their guy got arrested. That's what they're mad about. It's the, uh, it, it's always uh, a different situation when it's your side of the aisle. Yeah. 100%, 100% agree with you. I, I have a question on, cause I read an interesting article from the uh, UNC school of government where I attended and they were talking about the authority of counties. This is right when the stay at home, issue started and said, what authority do counties in North Carolina have to issue these essential lockdown orders? Um, and it was very interesting because they go into the fact that, I mean, really, they don't have a lockdown authority. They have some specific authorities that have been granted to them as far as um, proximity to an emergency situation, blocking certain roads, access to certain areas, uh, different things like that. Um, and I think one of the interesting things that we're going to need to look at in retrospect to this situation is public health issue or not, how broad can you be with restrictions when they are, um, you know, kind of one of the jokes I, I've been making to some friends lately is that they really should have just had church at the grocery store or at Lowe's Home Improvement on Sunday um, because you can stand six feet apart and you can have 100 people inside of Lowe's waiting in line to buy their the you know their dandelions, but uh, you, you couldn't do that in a church safe. And so I think it's going to be interesting to see how sweeping strokes you can be because typically with a law, you need to have um, some sort of defined response. You have to have either say this is the exact threat, this is the exact same uh, measure. Uh, here's how we're going to respond to this. It can't just be well everyone doing X, Y, and Z. They're, they're kind of I'm, I'm trying to my mind's blanking on kind of what that limiting factor is, but it but it has to be defined. The scope has to be defined. A strict scrutiny, I think is what you're talking about. Yes. Yes. Um, strict scrutiny. But I mean, here's the thing, though, is that, you know, I've read a lot about this and David French had a great piece over at the dispatch about this. I've, I think I've read from it almost every day. I've been on the I radio read it again last it. night when you shared yeah. it on Twitter again. Yeah. yeah. It's um, I mean, it's great because he explains that as long as once again, strict scrutiny, this is, this is what's applied and it's, it's up, it's, it's uh, applied uniformly to everybody that you are allowed to shut down a church and a restaurant at the same time that the first amendment that's, that's only with regards though, to the first amendment, the sort of free exercise clause 
are you allowed to um, you know, worship and you can't shut that down. That's why the rule that they were going to shut down drive-in service was unconstitutional because you, you, if you're allowing restaurants to do drive-in service, you can't tell a church they can't do it. That's when you run into the free exercise clause uh, problem. But you can tell a lot of these places and you can decide that. Going back to that that David French piece, he talks about Gibbons versus Ogden. I think it's like 18 uh, something. <laughs> it's 18 something. I can't remember when the, it's sometimes Somewhere in the 19th century. Where what happened was at the time, and I'm going to butcher this, but uh, it dealt with a steamboat. And I guess the federal government was giving them rights to travel in the New York River. And New York was trying to say, no, we're not going to let them. That's ours. And that's when sort of the interstate commerce came in. And they said that, no, the federal government has the power over interstate commerce. Here is where the state has power. And one of those things they mentioned in that ruling, uh, John Marshall was the one that wrote the opinion, mentioned quarantine laws. And so that's why this debate where President Trump is saying, I can tell the states when to reopen or not. He has, at least according to Supreme Court precedent, does not have that power. Now, at the same time, and French mentioned that mentions this in the article is that a lot of these quarantine laws are very antiquated. We have not had um, any real recent case law with regards to quarantines, but it does seem as if the governor has some pretty broad powers on this. I mean, the problem, the only question I have, and it'd be interesting to see if this can go to court. Cause once again, you do have to probably run into once again, French mentions this is you run into the mootness factor where quarantines don't usually last that long and the courts are n don't like taking up issues that are no longer issues. And so if you bring a case against a quarantine law that is then removed, the courts might go, well, it's not an issue anymore. It's a moot point. We're not going to debate this because it's not happening and it might not happen again. And so that's why you, you haven't seen a lot of cases because they don't tend to last long. This could be different because these quarantine laws are lasting so long and they're affecting so many people, you could actually see something which may actually be a good thing. But the reality is, is the governor does have some pretty broad powers. The only area I think that, that in North Carolina, there's reason to challenge is the fact that the state statute that gives the governor that power makes it very clear that he needs the concurrence of the council of state, which is debatable whether or not he has. And I don't know if you would challenge that because it doesn't seem like anyone on the council of state is making any real claim. Uh, you know, Dan force has said they would have liked to have been advised, but they don't seem to really be challenging it. So I'm not sure if someone took it to court, how that would even work. You know, who has standing with the council of state or with, I, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a legal expert clearly, but the, but the reality is, is that the, the governors do have broad powers and down here in New Hanover County, Woody white, a County commissioner and an attorney did tweet out that maybe the general uh, assembly should be looking at that statute, maybe putting some restrictions on there as to what the governor can and cannot do. But I would argue that it looks like he's got the power to do it. If we want to change that power going forward, then I say, Hey, you know, let's have that conversation. But I would say that what he's doing seems to fall into the, the line of, you know, keeping us all safe and he does have the power to quarantine. So I'm not sure what the challenge would be. Here's, here's forward. my issue with that. First of all, I hate that to keep us safe is such a broad uh, sort of uh, spread of power because not to be the straw man argument type situation here, but you can use that in so many situations. And that's where it goes back to the article I was talking about at the School of Government, which was really saying, I mean, if you look at this in a, in a very simple terms, there's supposed to be a specific threat. If you say, hey, a, um, a truck full of sulfuric acid just spilled over on a road and you've got to block down this section of the interstate for, say, five days until it's mitigated or two weeks or or some sort of specific threat. But you're talking about 
a virus that is everywhere and nowhere at the same time. We don't know anything about it. You're not talking about a specific amount of time. I mean, even now I'm reading more and more articles popping up saying, well, if a vaccine might not be available till 2022, realistically. So what you're saying, we're going to have some sort of lockdown for two years. Um, and, and, and well, I don't, but there I don't is a deadline. What is there the, is a, a sunset date, whether or not he renews it. I mean, but he has clearly said that April 29th, he but might renew it. But, but the rule of law isn't based on changing the goalpost in the middle of the game, right? I mean, yes, I'm saying if there was an immediate address and they say, okay, we know because of X, Y, and Z, because the whole situation on the lockdown was to flatten the curve, to keep the situation from getting out of control. Because as you argued on this show three, four weeks ago, you said the real issue here is that if people are getting sick and they go to the hospital and they don't have the facilities to handle them, then it's going to explode. Because then you're going to have people who would have survived dying because of the lack of equipment and so on and so forth. We're not in that position. Um, we haven't been in that position. Yeah, Even but they're going to argue it's because of the shutdown. And that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. But you can't say because theoretically something might happen that we're just going to prolong it indefinitely. I mean, if right now we've had, you know, 100 deaths over a month period. So are we just going to extrapolate that forever until a year and a half from now? And there's a vaccine. Is that now the metric? I mean, I think you can do that. I mean, I mean that's, I mean, that is quarantine how, law. How do people live and what are you quarantining them from? Well, I mean, that's, a, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of different arguments here. I mean, from a strict legal perspective, yeah. I mean, I, I think you can do that. I mean, as long as like, once again, I mean, the governor said April 29th, this is the deadline and they're going to reevaluate and they come up with another reason they can put another executive order forward. Now, if this thing keeps going on and on. Like I said, I mean, if someone, if he renews it, on April 29th, someone can then challenge it and maybe they can get this thing moved through court and, and see if there's a legal challenge there. I mean, if this keeps going, that's when you're going to see more legal challenges. But I mean, you can be pretty broad. I mean, we saw this in New Jersey with the Ebola situation. I mean, locking people up. I mean, it, it's all based on unknown. I mean, the reason the quarantine law exists is because we're trying to stop it from spreading. I mean, that's the whole purpose. I mean, the question, I think that the bigger question I've always had, and once again, I don't know enough about it, is... Locking up someone that's sick, I understand. But what about someone that's not sick? And that's sort of the problem that we're running into is that we don't know who has it. Exactly. We don't know. And that to me, I think is more of an argument versus sort of, um, you know, how long this thing is going to last. But at the same time, think about I mean, it this way. Health yeah. I mean, it's the, same, it's the same thing with national security. I mean, think about how many innocent people's lives and civil liberties were violated because, Hey, we got to find the terrorists. And a lot of that is held up to some extent because why we're keeping people safe. And so I know you don't like that, that sort of ambiguous term, but it is used very, very effectively in fighting uh, terrorism. I mean, think about going to the airport, how much that's changed. And that is all of us. They're not selectively finding people. So you can be pretty broad when you have that power, like the federal government has the power on national security. You can be pretty broad with it. And on the state level, the governor has the power when it comes to health policy. So let me ask you a question. So I, th I think what you're talking about is, is a great example. Um, quarantine law. This is something we don't talk about. Quarantine policy. What has the history of humanity been for quarantines? People got sick and they try to keep them in one spot until they get better. That's quarantine philosophy. 
that's not at all what we're doing right now whatsoever. You're, you're, you're trying to be preemptive about it and agreed. It's definitely helpful. The social distancing in and of itself, voluntary social distancing would be helpful. Mandatory lockdowns have been even more helpful. Um, but then you're not now talking about quarantining anything because we, the idea would be we're quarantining air in your house, but we don't know where it's going in and out of windows or, um, or if it's already been in your house or, or anything else. It's very abstract. And that's my point is I don't know how you continue to govern from a perspective of something you cannot control whatsoever. Well, I mean, the thing is, you are, I mean, you are quarantining some sick people. I mean, this is a, like I said, this, is a, this affects everyone. So the fact that everyone that is sick is being forced to stay home and the healthy people are being forced to stay home. They are caught up in it too. It's not like the sick people are allowed to go out and the healthy people have to stay home. I mean, everyone is being told to stay in your house. And I mean, yeah, I mean, it seems pretty crazy, but I mean, I mean, but think about it. This was like a, a, a dangerous, like anthrax, like something like horrifically airborne. And the government did this. Everyone would go, oh yeah, that makes total sense. And so the problem is, is that we're not really arguing, does the government have the power? We're arguing is that should they be utilizing the power on something like this? And once again, that is something that we don't know. And to be honest with you, uh, Lyman Stone had a great Twitter thread today or yesterday in which he was talking about uh, why lockdown should end. And he basically said, well, for the most part, it's because the empirical data that's available proves they don't do much to actually stop the spread. And that really what we should be doing is social distancing, limiting, you know, and sort of what we're doing now, but remove the lockdown. So we open up restaurants, but the fire marshals come in and cut the occupancy levels in half, uh, or at least temporarily. Uh, grocery stores cut once again. I mean, pretty much you go around and you cut all the occupancy levels in half, maybe even more to keep the number of group people in there so they, they can safely social distance. Um, and you just continue the good hygiene, continue the issues, uh, keep the schools locked down at least until the fall. And so those are going to be far more effective versus just a complete shutdown, which closes everything. Because even if you're only getting 25% of the people in your restaurant, it's still better than zero. So it actually benefits everyone from an economic standpoint. And it actually keeps us about as safe, if not safer, because what's happening is, is people are starting to rebel. I mean, I watched that protest yeah. and those people were way too close to each other. <laughs> and why? Because everyone's getting so, because instead of us all still meeting and staying far away from each other, we're now meeting and, and getting closer to each other because we're like, we're like, screw this. I'm just going to go do this now. That's the, that's the, the worst reaction that we can get. We, what we want is people going, yes, I want a social distance. And so keep things open, severely limit um, the, the occupancy of a lot of these places, but allow people to at least go out and continue doing stuff. And there'll be sort of more complacent. It's kind of like the um, what's the, What's the old saying about, you know, you can shear a sheep um, uh, many times, but you can only kill it once or something along those lines. The reality is, is that what we're doing is that we're essentially making everyone rebel against these rules instead of having softer rules that people will be more able to comply with for a longer period of time, which will be more beneficial to society. Yeah, no, I totally agree because what you've done is you've now made them have the decision between it. It wasn't, hey, there's going to be bad storms this weekend. Please just stay in your house for three days. It's Hey, we, we don't really know. We keep moving this. We're changing it. There's a lot of different factors going on. You have people seeing things like, I mean, I've got a good friend 
whose wife is in a medical profession, their hours are getting cut, everything. I mean, so now their main source of income in what would be a very secure job during an emergency is, is now in jeopardy. Um, he's not being able to work much because everything's shut down. So now you've, you're, you're starting to get into these second and third tier jobs that are not just your food service workers and bartenders um, and sort of that first wave that happened with like, okay, we shut down restaurants. Here's a bunch of people who are out of work, but then there's a lot of other people that are still being able to work. And I've seen also, there are some major companies here uh, in the triangle that are very successful, high paying jobs uh, that sell business to business products. And they're being impacted because um, either people are too afraid to make decisions right now, or they're calling into companies who have seen just this, this trickle of uh, effect on their business. And so I think that's the big issue is that it's no longer just a virus threat. And we've been talking about that here for a while. I don't think anybody ever thought it was just a virus or nothing. Um, but the the threat of the livelihood and the fact that we've we, we just now, I think we'll, we'll start to talk about the, uh, the Trump checks coming in. Um, it's been a delay. People are struggling and they don't see the end yet. You don't have people saying, hey, here's what, you know, if Governor Cooper was there saying, hey, we're already looking at X, Y and Z. So once April 30th hits, here's phase one, here's phase two. If people saw this coming, I think it would loosen up the tension a lot. But 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 you don't see that because yeah. I'm too afraid there. I, I think they're afraid if, OK, well, if something changes it's almost like they just want to keep that status quo until they can't until they can't handle it anymore. Well, it was funny. The Wall Street Journal had a piece about the second round of coronavirus layoffs are coming and it's going to hit a lot of white collar jobs. And uh, I'm going to make a prediction. I guarantee you Tucker Carlson goes on some populist rant about, uh, you know, oh, now now the policymakers are going to do something because their kids are losing their jobs. You know, they're not bartenders or or, uh, you know, some other like construction worker. And so. You know they they didn't care, but now that their kids and their law firms are getting fired, now they're gonna now they're gonna do so. I guarantee he's gonna do it. But yeah, I mean it is gonna have a bigger impact. There there's there's no doubt about that. But at the same time, I mean, I I continue to argue this point, which is one: the Spanish flu, nineteen eighteen, the second wave was far deadlier than the first wave. And so what we need, what, what's going to happen, this is what's going to happen over the next six. It's not the flu, Tyler. 12 months. It's not the flu. <laughs> You're right. Either. I don't think the Spanish flu was, I mean, it, it was a, it was a kind of flu, um, but clearly kind worse. The kind of flu. <laughs> what I'm saying is, is that it, it, it's like the H1N1. Like the swine flu was worse than say like a regular flu. Um, it was a more severe strand, I should say. But what's, I mean, this is called the Wuhan flu to, to some people, but What's going to happen is that we're going to open things back up slowly, 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 you know, 25% occupancy, 50% occupancy, 60% occupancy. But then if a spike happens, everything's going to go back down. And that's unfortunately what we're going to be dealing with for the next six, 12 months until we get a vaccine where we can then, you know, apply it like it's a, uh, a regular sort of flu where people can get vaccinated and there is some sort of herd immunity that's built by that. But it's not like it's just going to be like, okay, we're reopening and then we're going to reopen and reopen because everyone's going to be on pins and needles watching, making sure we don't see another outbreak. And so that's going to complicate things too because people are going to be like, oh, it's so great. Things are open. Then boom, an outbreak happens and boom, we got to close. Maybe not close everything down, but severely limit everything once again until we get it under control and and then start reopening it again and then and then close and then reopen and then close. But that's going to happen a lot.
No, and I think that that makes more sense long term is saying, what do we do to to manage this? Because this isn't going to be the last flu. I mean, and and let, let's do let's do like a rapid round. I don't want to talk the whole time about this, uh, but maybe the next five minutes where we kind of jump through a couple of things. Um, you know, there's more and more evidence coming out that this may have originated from the laboratory in Wuhan, it, at least from the wet market. I mean, the, the Bill Maher speech has now gone viral. So let's say it was the wet market or the laboratory. This isn't just some crazy, crazy fluke. There are other uh, viruses similar to this that could jump to humans. So so kind of what, what are you thinking about this long term and how we can do this from having just a complete shutdown for months, potentially the next time something like this comes around? Or do you well, think this is just Trump's fault and should have acted quicker? Well, obviously it's Trump's fault. <laughs> no, what was it? I saw, was it Chris Murphy? Chris Murphy was an Anderson Cooper. And he said, this isn't China's fault or the WHO. This is Trump's fault. And it was like, Jesus, are you serious? Like, I don't care how much you hate Trump. You're going to be like, this is Trump's fault. The, 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 the disease that came from China, the WHO believed China. And it, and it's not their fault. It's Trump's fault. I mean, that's just insane. In Spain, um, Italy. Yeah. Right. I, it, it's the craziest thing I've, I've ever seen um, that, that I, mean, I don't care how much you hate Trump. I mean, my God, this is absolutely China's fault, but uh, what we need to do is, I mean, you saw that de the Washington post report, which by the way, I will say conservative media became a big fan of the Washington post yesterday. And that article came out and they were all like, look, look, we were right. We were right. I'm like, whoa, we're believing the Washington post again. That's awesome. Uh, Cause I have a subscription. So I'm glad I can, I can start using them as a source again. You and Bezos. But, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm trying to get a job. So, uh, but with, but with that article, I mean, it, it did highlight that there were concerns about that two years ago. I mean, this is why I am a big, strong believer in this philosophy of sort of globalism and everything else, because I want us to be connected and talking with these countries because if we don't know what China's doing, I mean, imagine we knew that China was doing something and we were concerned about what China was doing. And so it would have been great if we would have planned for it. But can you imagine if we didn't know what they were doing? Like what's going on in these labs? Like we have to make sure we know what's happening there. So this doesn't happen again. So if we find out they're working with another coronavirus and they're not using proper safety protocols like we saw, then we get the world community together and we try and shut that lab down, block their funding, do what we can to get that shut down. And that's why it's so important that we stay up and are a part of the world. I mean, what really worries me is that the reaction to this is going to, we're all going to isolate, not just the United States, but everyone. We're all going to say, hey, let's all isolate in our corners. And I think that's the worst thing. That's the worst reaction to have. I think what we need to do is this is proof. We need to be more aware of what's happening in these countries, even our enemies' countries, because of how easy. I mean, terrorists are watching this going, holy crap. I mean, like, this is taken down the United States and all these other economies. And it's it's like a virus. I mean, and and so I'm worried that that terrorists and others are going to see this and be like, that's you know the route that we should be going versus the what we're doing now. And so we need to be more aware of what other countries are doing, what they have, what they don't have. Can it be infiltrated? Can problems happen? And so we we have to be more evolved than we even are, are more involved than we are now. And I think that is the key to stopping this from happening again. It's we, we need to know everything that's happening in the world. I mean, we already do to some extent, but we need to know more. And we actually need to listen to these people that tell us, Hey, China's doing something wrong. We got to do something about that and do it instead of just ignoring it, which apparently we did. I don't know why. Yeah. 
I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think you're right. I think we're going to have to keep a pulse on it. And I hope maybe it changes our perspective because we've spent the last however many years focused on, uh, you know, military dominance and, and anti-terrorism and uh, cybersecurity. I mean, if you would ask anybody 10 years ago, what would kill, uh, you know, what sudden onslaught would kill 20,000 Americans? Would it have been some sort of crazy cyber attack or a terrorist attack? Those would have been the top two choices. That's what everybody yeah. talks about every election. Um, and no, it was a, a complete lack of preparation medically uh, for a- But you know, who, you know who predicted this? George W. Bush. That's right. That's right, baby. W. Oh, the stupid W. Saw this coming 13 years ago. No, more than that. 15 years ago. Yeah, so. but, he, but he was Hitler. So no one listened. <laughs> I saw a lady compare uh, some some uh, newscaster at Newsmax who compared uh, Bill Gates to Stalin and Hitler. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, listen, I get it. You don't like them, but I mean, Stalin and Hitler. It's all Stalin. What do you think about um, the, the last quick lightning topic here? What are you seeing? Because I know you're Mr. Doom and Gloom, and I'm on the opposite side of the spectrum. Right. But what, what do you right. see now that we have more and more data? We keep checking in. Week after week, we were initially looking at numbers out of China, which we know were false. Uh, you saw the awful scenario in Italy. Uh, we've seen Spain, some of these other countries. Um, you've seen now more data now that's come out of New York. And now a lot of people are saying, oh, where well, they're claiming all of these other deaths, which I think is at least something to discuss, but I don't think it's a conspiracy. Um, and then you've seen the report uh, that Scott Gottlieb tweeted out. Um, about how they tested all of the expectant mothers in the hospital, um, all the new admi admits in the uh, the hospital in New York, and found that 14% of them had it and were asymptomatic, um, just out of the general population. Different things like that. So as these numbers are starting to develop, are you a little bit more optimistic? Um, are you still as pessimistic about <laughs> how dangerous well, things are? Somewhere in between. I mean, I still think I still think this thing is is. Um insanely dangerous i mean i think it's i think it's wicked, wicked deadly wicked deadly. i mean i i still think it's like 10 times worse than the flu uh and and once again the reasoning is the same i mean i i don't have the numbers in front of me but there was a wall street journal piece in which they looked at the numbers and they basically found that this thing within the time in the same time period you know when the flu starts and when the covid19 started and it was like 15 15 times as many cases and like 20 times as many deaths so i mean this thing is still right, a lot more dangerous down and we have no antibodies built up I yeah mean, yeah i mean that's it's it's it, it's clearly that that's one of the big issues but at the same time i mean even the story that you mentioned about the new york times i mean if if you i can't remember if it was in that piece or another one but they basically admitted that's the same thing they do with the flu i mean they do that with, with any disease where they just don't have time at this I mean, because the reality is, is we're not going to know what these numbers are for six months. I mean, it, it's sort of like why there was that. I think we talked about it last week. There was that jump where they were saying how uh, there are actually fewer deaths in April than there would have been normally. So like this thing's actually not even that bad. And we actually save lives. And, and then, you know, all the people that actually know are like, no, these numbers don't come out for like six months. So I don't know what numbers people were looking at, but they weren't the right ones. So it always takes. This is always economic data, anything that compile all these numbers, it takes a long time. So are they presuming a lot of people are dying from this that aren't? Uh, yeah, but they're also, you know, what I, I've heard from a lot of epidemiologists is that they're probably actually missing more than they're misadding. So the numbers will probably still be higher. And I mean, the reality is, is that this thing, yeah, we have, we don't 
have a vaccine for this. It does seem to be much more, it does seem to be transmissible a lot uh, easier than the flu. And it does seem to have a higher uh, mortality rate. So, but the thing is, I don't know how we deal with this going forward. I mean, we, I, I thought, okay, we do this, we keep everything from getting overloaded and then we reopen everything back up. And so now I'm, now I'm like doubly pessimistic because I still think this thing is deadly, but now I don't think we have the option of keeping everything closed because the economic hit is just going to be as, as, as dangerous. So now I'm like doubly pessimistic because now I'm like, basically pick your poison. Do you want you know, these horrible economic circumstances that I think are going to slowly lead to the demise of the global financial system? Or do we open the economy back up and risk hundreds of thousands of people dying from this thing? And I'm like, I don't know, pick your poison. <laughs> so I am now I think not as pessimistic, but now I have two things to be pessimistic about. So it's the same pessimism spread out over two issues. Well, one thing, and and, and I'll end it with this, but is um, that I think it is finally a, a silver lining is that I seem to see more people posting more information. They seem to be understanding better how this is attacking us and the symptoms it's causing. I mean, a ventilator isn't a cure, right? That's, that's just yeah. a, an object to keep, to keep you going, hopefully until your body fights it off or until one of the experimental medications kicks in. Um, so it seems I've seen more and more doctors posting, hey, here are things that we've done. Here are things we've noticed. Um, you know, and, and so I'm hoping between that and some sort of treatment will then make things a lot different. We have Tamiflu for the flu, right? Yeah. Having something equivalent on a mass scale, and that could be an awful lot sooner than a vaccine. Well, the problem is, though, it's sort of like that hydroxychloroquine where everyone, I, I, I'm not sure what the argument was, but that was, I mean, that's something that, it's not a vaccine. I mean, it's something that you take when they're trying to keep you from going on a ventilator. I mean, it, it can do some pretty rough things to your body, and so, I mean, the reason why I think the medical community was a little bit hesitant was because they didn't want to just people start taking it, thinking it was like some preventative way. Um, it's because it, because it does have side effects. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's really what this is about is, I mean, the, I take a social, little every social time distancing. Every time I clean my fish tank, I take a little. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. Um, hope you have a good life insurance policy. Emma will like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She'll, be, she'll, be, she'll be well taken care of. Um yeah, I mean, I think there are multiple reasons, um, you know, for that. But that, I'm hoping that's what they 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 start to figure out. Hey, here's here's something that really goes after this. We'll lower that mortality rate, um, because even with the vaccine deal, I mean, we're talking about this thing's mutating. Um, you know, it does seem to be mut mutating slower than the flu, though, from yes. what I've read. And they're saying that's that means a vaccine would be even more effective. So that's that is the one good story that i saw about this was that it does not appear to be mutating as fast as the flu does so. and that should help people from getting it a second time because that's been the new yeah. scare tactic is could you get it again if you've already had it and um as, as long as the core uh you know of the rna stays the same that's going to help you fight against it. it's when that changes drastically that you can get two different strains of the flu in the same year and stuff like that so yeah that would um yeah that would not be good um all right before we run out of time you want to talk about the uh, stimulus checks yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. This is great. So I got mine. Did you get yours today? Did you get your yeah, uh, orange, yeah, orange, orange back, orange backs? Is that what it's called? I'm calling them Trump change. Trump change. Well, I, I like Trump box, but I really liked orange backs. I don't know why. I just thought it was so funny. Cause, orange cause backs. You're, you're from the greenback days. That's true. That's true. 
Um, and I also saw Corona Bucks, maybe Corona Bucks. See, I don't, I don't want to give Corona, I don't want to give Corona credit though. I don't want to give them the money for it though. But I, I, I could see that. Um, so yeah, those those hit today. A lot of people's bank accounts. A lot of people are excited about that. I have to say, I'm a little disappointed, and um, it's because of what you're getting ready to talk about. <laughs> so it turns out that Trump really wanted his name on the check, and they were like, eh, "We can't, we can't." It's I don't know if it's illegal or they just can't do it. So they didn't. And so they ended up putting it in the memo spot of the check. But so the problem is, is that because of that fight, the checks got delayed for a couple of days because Trump wanted his name on the check. And, you know, I saw a lot of people talking about this on Twitter. But here's my defense of Trump. Here's my defense is that Donald Trump's entire career was built on him putting his name on things that he didn't actually own, but pretended that he did. So why would we expect President Trump to do anything different? Rim shot. <laughs> you know, and and to his credit, um, he won the presidency by winning the game. And he knows yeah. the game. I mean, what, what better way to put your name out there to get some free media attention than a check showing up in mailboxes? With who actually gets a check? Do you know anyone that would get a check? I mean, everyone I know does direct deposit. Yeah. Well, you're talking about um, underserved populations, though. Demographics that aren't traditional um, white-collar GOP voters. They don't have <laughs> But I'm saying is that they're going to vote for Trump? Places. I mean, you're talking about low-income neighborhoods, um, underrepresented communities, I think is the the, the, the term. Well, I will, tell you, I will tell you this. Um, Tim Alberta wrote a great book we've talked about before, American Carnage. Fascinating book. I listened to an interview he did one time where he said, uh, he was asked, what's the one thing that you wish got covered more in the press? And he said, poor people. And he said, no, I don't mean poor people as in like poor middle-class people, as in someone that owns a home, but you know, maybe is living paycheck to paycheck. And you know, like I said, they own their own home and they have a car. He's like, I mean like poor people who like can't buy a house, who like have to take the bus, who, you know, can't get a checking account. Like, I mean, just, I mean, like poor generational poverty, basically yeah, like poor, poor people. And he was like, the reason no one talks about them is because they don't vote is they do not vote. They do not care. They don't pay attention. You know, they're so worried about, you know, just being able to pay and survive. They're not paying attention to everything else. And he goes, they get zero attention. And so the reason I bring that up is because I was wondering, like, they're more than likely the people that are going to get these checks. And I'm like, they just don't vote. I mean, they're, they're, I, I highly doubt it's going to have, I mean, my point is I don't think it's going to have a big impact on helping Trump or not. And I think it's going to cause more backlash because Kevin, you remember the backlash in the seventh congressional district about Mike McIntyre putting his name on those checks that he used to bring into the district and everyone made a big deal about it and he stopped doing it. And so to me, I almost feel like there's going to be more of a backlash against him doing that now that this fight is gone versus just letting him go out. Because I just, yeah. who looks, I mean, do you, have you ever looked at a check signature before? <laughs> like, you're like, I know where it came from. I hope it clears. <laughs> like, that's all you care about. Like, you don't care. You're like, oh, I wonder who Mr. John Smith is. Like, oh, thank you. Like, no one cares. They, yeah. they're, they're, they're going to take it and get it cash. I'll tell you what, if I got a check from the federal government, I'd just be making sure it didn't bounce. That's what, yes, that's my whole point is like, that's all you care about. Now, if it bounces, you're going to go, who the F is John Smith? I'm calling this guy. That guy's who checked out. D <laughs> Trump. Yeah, yeah. That, then they're going to get, then, then that's going to hurt Trump. I'm going to show up and vote just to vote against this man that sent me a bad check. 
So I, I, I think it's like unnecessary foul uh, that Trump committed. But like I said, I mean, the guy likes his on name brand. on stuff. It so. is on brand. Did you see? Um, did you see what Thomas Massey tweeted today? Uh, where his uh, <laughs> oh my god, yeah, his his father passed away two years ago. That wasn't him. That was a constituent's father. I thought. No, he said this is from a friend of mine because I called to confirm. Yeah, and it was the friend's father had gotten the check. Right. I don't think it was Tom Massey that got the check. No, no, it was his his friend's father. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I thought you were saying it was Tom Massey's father. No, he he oh, tweeted okay. it, that his friend had texted him that the that his father had died. I'm sorry, I said it that way. The, the friend's father had died two years ago and got a direct deposit today in the account. Um, so he's like, do I do I just spend this online or, or or what do I do? So don't worry. No matter how altruistic the means, government will botch it. That's the moral of the story. Well, and yeah, I want to. It's funny. I was listening to a podcast before we we did ours. Um, Jonah Goldberg was doing one with um, James Petrakokis uh, from CNBC AEI, and he was saying is that he actually thought way too much time was spent on trying to make sure that the money didn't go to people like that because his argument was the whole purpose of stimulus is time is uh, speed. And the same thing with the small business loans, like, Oh no, we're worried about, um, you know, money going to people that shouldn't get it. And this is on both sides of the aisle and that, that delay actually hurts. And he was pointing out the example that he gave was he was talking about putting out a forest fire. And he's like, when you put out a forest fire, he's like focusing on like, hey, you're, you're, you're too much water on that tree. That tree looks fine. Don't, don't spray. It's like, dude, you're spraying everything to try and get this fire out. And stories like that actually are not as bad because the reality is, is that we're trying to get this money out and it's about keeping the economy from, and if we would have spent another month making sure that no bad checks went out, then that would have, that would have completely limited and stymied the, the effect of those checks. And so I did think it was an interesting point that we did maybe spend too much time and we'll, we'll make too big of a deal out of these stories well, because if, the reality is, is that speed is better than inefficiency at this point. If you're correct, I didn't think they spent any time on it. If, if they spent, <laughs> still screwed it up and still delayed it, then yeah, yeah. You're right. because well, you're not about a war of attrition here, yeah. send it out two weeks ago and not spend any time. On it, right? Because well, you said, I think it was yeah. mostly about the small business loans, where now they've caused this huge bottleneck because they want to make sure that no business that's not deserving gets a shot at this loan. But and now it's like it, it they're weeks behind. I mean, no, this is going to have almost no impact because of how messed up this program is. Yeah, no, it's it's so botched. I'm in several community Facebook groups uh, here in town, so I see. I mean, so many business owners are just at their wits end. They've applied for the PPP. Uh, they've applied for the SBA loans. They've gone through, and they're just sitting there going, "What? What's going on?" That weeks have gone by, and and no information, no money's coming out. Um, and the whole point is, like you said, this was supposed to be temporary, just until the economy gets back up. It's the economy is going to be loosened up and and slowly back to work before this money ever comes through to to tide people over in the meantime. And it's yeah, that I mean, that stress on people is is what's uh, is what is causing reopen and see. Right there. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And I think that, it, it, and what's even more interesting, like the check one, actually makes more sense in the small business because the small business, the way the program works is that it's a loan unless you meet all the spending qualifications, and then it becomes a grant. So if someone got that money that wasn't supposed to, <laughs> you make them pay it back. Right. And so 
it's like it's even dumber that they wasted so much time being like we got to make sure that people well if they then you pay them back like that's beautiful I mean, that's actually the way the program's supposed to work so chill out send the money everyone that asks send them and then figure it out later um you know the checks obviously is more difficult because we're not supposed to pay it back so it could be more difficult to get that money back but the small business i mean that 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 it already has a built-in safety feature yeah. so why they're worrying about it i don't know if you want to see more about that i would follow a couple people on twitter who have been uh, really involved in the situation mark cuban and uh marcus Lamonis from the profit obviously mark cuban the, the shark tank billionaire owner of the the dallas mavs um they've both been pretty fed up with the SBA program. So. <laughs> pretty, pretty interesting uh, threads there. If you get bored, you think Mark Cuban's going to run for president? He just said the other day, he wasn't going to rule it out. I think that could be a fun wild card. Cause I, I had Trump yeah, Biden, and then something in between. Yeah. I mean, I, so I, <laughs> I had a buddy of mine. He's actually a Trump voter. So don't think I'm, 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 I'm knocking Trump on this, but he was telling me how he thinks like Trump's like is, has like screwed up all these guys like heads where, you know, they always kind of like laughed like Bloomberg, right? Like there's always that, that funny story about Bloomberg where uh, he was talking about some club that he had joined and Trump was like, hey, what club is that? And he was like, don't worry about it, Donald, you can't afford it. You know, I mean, because Bloomberg's like you know, the what, fifth richest person on the planet. I mean, he's he's insanely wealthy. So he can say that. And, you know, a lot of these business guys always kind of looked at Trump as like kind of like this, this you know, sideshow Barker, right? Like where they all knew that he wasn't that great of a businessman, but, you know, he sold it to the American people and everyone looked at him as that way. But so they always looked at him down on him and now he become he's become president and they're like, well, my God, if, if Trump's dumbass can do it, then I can do it. And so now they're all thinking about running. And I think Bloomberg gave him a lot of pause. <laughs> like, I mean, he put a billion dollars and just got smoked. And I, I, but I think he's messed up a lot of their heads. And I think Cuban's the same thing where they're just like, well, God, if Trump did it, then I, who am a far better businessman than him, I can do it. Because running for president is not about being a businessman. I know the GOP always love to say, like, we need a businessman. But Trump didn't win because he's a good businessman. He won because he's a good marketer, because he marketed himself well, not because of his business acumen, but because of the idea of his business acumen. I mean, oh, if we elected presidents because of what's that? It's a popularity contest. Well, yeah, but I'm saying is it's also on your ability to actually let people know that. I mean, Bloomberg is clearly one of the best businessmen that's ever existed. I mean, just the fact that he's, he, is a self-made guy. I mean, he turned his severance from, was it Lehman brothers it, from, you yeah, got $10 million from them when he left the company when he was 40 and now he's worth $60 billion. I mean, that's impressive. Um, but he ran for president and nobody, you know, no one voted for him. So it's not, it's not a, as big of a factor. And so I think Trump's messed a lot of these guys' minds up where they're like, God, if Trump did it, I can do it. And they can't <laughs> because running for politics, running for office and being a businessman are not even close to being the same thing. Yeah. Well, you'll have to let me know when you run for president. <laughs> I like how you're implying that I'm either a, a good marketer or be a businessman, which I am neither. So you, you're, you're I appreciate that. That was actually the irony of the statement. Oh, you're being, Oh, okay. That's, you know, you know what? I was going to say something, but I didn't want you to bleep it out. So I'm not going to. I can't. We're live. <laughs> no, no, oh, I forgot. Right. We are live. Oh, crap. We are live. I almost dropped. I, I almost cussed earlier. I'm glad I didn't do that. So. I, I saw that. I saw it in your head. I've known you. All <laughs> <laughs> the thought bubbles above it. And I was like, oh, he remembered we're live and actually didn't nope. say nope. it. Nope. I just thought for the betterment of, of me, I did not. I did not swear. Um, all right, dude. You got anything else? That's it. All right. Well, uh, should we'll we do it again. Should we yeah. close out? Should I play the outro music? Should you? Do it. <laughs>
I did. I played it. I, I heard. 